Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. August of 2023 marks the one-year anniversary of Beyond the Shadow of Doubt and 5,000 downloads. My genuine thanks. Subscribe if you have not. Share a favorite episode with a friend and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Help me reach my goal of 10,000 downloads by the end of 2023. I am so excited to share with you that the Love Loud Music Festival is coming to the Lone Star State. Founded in 2017 by Dan Reynolds, Love Loud is a catalyst to bring communities and families together to help ignite the vital conversation about what it means to unconditionally love our LGBTQ plus friends and family. Love Loud offers hope to people, letting them know they're not alone and encouraging acceptance in the home and community. It all begins with talking, sharing, and showing the realities of what LGBTQ plus individuals face daily. If you are in Texas and interested in volunteering along with me and some of your fellow Texans, please reach out and I will connect you with the right person. I would love to stand side by side and serve along with you. More information is on their website, which I have listed in the show notes. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. I'm so looking forward to introducing you to a dear friend who is also a fellow life coach, who is also my coach. I am currently Actually, at the time of this recording and when this is released, I'll probably have finished, but I'm currently wrapping up her advanced relationship trauma certification. I'm so looking forward to this conversation to share her knowledge with each of you as it relates to each of your faith journeys. So without further ado, um, Lindsay, I want to turn the time over to you to introduce yourself. Tell us, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing about your background your origin story, all those things. Oh, well, just so happy to be here. Thank you for having me on here, Megan. It's so fun. I just have so much love and respect for you for, for who you are as a person and the work that you're doing. And it's just, it's really, really important. Thank stuff. you. So I just feeling is mutual. <laughs> yeah. It so is. my name is, oh, I, I believe you. <laughs> I received that. Um, yeah, so my name is Lindsay Pullman. Um, I grew up a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I grew up in Utah. And, um, you know, kind of just very typical, you know, in a lot of ways, as I as I got older, did a lot of the, the typical check-the-box things that we're taught to do, you know, that we're taught in our adolescents and young men's young women to do so that we can, like, ensure, like, the good life, right? Or, yeah. like, a, a problem-less life or a life with problems, but like the good kind or something. And so, um, mm-hmm. when I was right after I finished, you know, do my undergrad and economics at BYU, I met my, my partner 
in Thailand doing some volunteer work after the tsunami forever ago. And um, we, you know, became really good friends and we dated and we got married and kept, and then we just set goals and kind of did more of those typical check the box things. He decided to go to dental school. Yeah. I decided to get my graduate degree in accounting and, and then, you know, we did the dental school thing in LA and, and then went to Oregon and came back to Utah. And by then we'd had our third kid. And I thought that I was done working forever and bought the house in the nice neighborhood and about right. And then basically right after we, the year we had our third child, we were, we just bought a house. We were, my husband found this great partner that he was about to buy in with, um, as a dentist, um, like everything mm -hmm. was just kind of coming into place and it just felt amazing until, uh huh. Well, everything hit the fan times okay. what felt like times 2000. And so there was a day where my, <laughs> where my husband came home and just said, you know, he wanted to talk and just said, Hey, I've been lying to you about porn use. And I've been, had this problem for this many years. And, and, um, and he had been lying to me about it. Like it's something we had, where we had communicated that we would communicate to each other about it. And I've, I'd asked him somewhat directly over the years, you know, about his porn use. And it was just always a no, no, no. Anyway, he couldn't live with the lie anymore. And so he told me, and at the time Megan, it just felt like nothing could get worse. Like mm -hmm. a dagger went into my heart and just got like twisted. Yeah. And I blamed myself. I just had a third kid. I was like, well, obviously, because look at my body. I just had a baby, you know, all that stuff. So took it incredibly personally because I hadn't been taught a lot of the tools that I teach people now. And, um, and then within a week of that, he started having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, shaky hands. And oh. he just like stopped working like cold Turkey stopped. And, um, wow. and we were just like, what just like, what, what just, well, I don't know what he was thinking, but I was like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. to my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which way is I up? Thought it was like <laughs> all just coming together all perfectly. And imagine, um, yeah. And so he stopped working and a bunch of child, you know, at the time we didn't, we had no idea it was happening. We just knew he was having panic attacks. He was anxious, non-functionally depressed. Um, and at the time we had a four month old, a two year old and a, and a four year old. And he was like a newborn, like he couldn't fall asleep by himself. He couldn't stay asleep. He, um, had to be driven everywhere. I couldn't leave him alone without him having a panic attack. So I had to have like someone come to the house for me to like leave, to go exercise. Like it was a big, like it, he was very non-functioning. And so basically, you know, <laughs> we spent about a year, maybe six to eight months, maybe about nine months getting him stabilized on meds. And then once he got stabilized, I'd say three to six months after he got stabilized, he started having these flashbacks and um, we realized that there's some childhood trauma, some sexual abuse that hadn't been processed. So from oh, there, wow. it just became, yeah, it just became this huge thing and it was someone that we knew. And so we had to set boundaries and now we, and that person went, you know, would not take any accountability or responsibility. And so we don't see that person anymore. And it felt like a death in the family. And because there are people that stuck with that person and and it's just so messy. Like it was so messy. And meanwhile, I'm just like, what? So I, I felt like I was processing the betrayal trauma on my husband's porn use, processing betrayal around this person um, who, uh, you know, like a predator towards my husband, yes. you know, right. and, right. and, and then 
processing the grief around losing, you know, setting boundaries and losing those relationships that had felt like people had died. Um, trying to, and then I had, I started working again. Um, like there was just so much happening, just so much, like, it just felt like this big foggy grief cloud and, and my husband was in betrayal trauma. And so there was just so much stuff happening and that's kind of where things like, I would say that was kind of like, if there was like a little powder keg for our awakening, that was probably it because it caused us to so much was happening that we just had to trim the fat everywhere and just get down to like the bare basics. Like what matters? What is the priority? And the priority was him surviving. And then once he was surviving for a while, then I was able to process porn use and, and all the yeah. stuff from there. And, and I did a lot of processing with an amazing uh, trauma therapist. And then I got to this point where I just could tell I needed more. And, and, you know, based on how a lot of the 12 steps groups, you know, I don't remember how, what the church calls the SARP or ARP, what they, you know, they've kind of adapted 12 steps. Uh Um, There's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't really give you much hope for the future. And it leaves you feeling pretty powerless, especially as the partner of someone looking at porn. And so, you know, between that stuff and between the professionals who were like highly, you know, very popular professionals in Utah that I was working with, there wasn't a lot of hope offered to me for like what could be, especially when I was going through this back in 2015. Like there's a lot more coaches out there, um, people talking about betrayal trauma, but back then there really weren't. And so I just remember thinking like, is this it? Is this always going to be a thing? And I remember my therapist kind of just looking at me with this really pitying look like, yeah, kind of like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, like it will always be like a stain or like a scarlet letter on your marriage. And I remember just thinking like, no, like there has to be more, like more than this life of apathetic acceptance of this. And that's when, you know, I found coaching and I was able to just kind of use the therapy work that I had done as a springboard into the next thing for me. Wow, Linz. Oh my goodness. Um, I think they're like, what? No, I'm so appreciative. I'm so appreciative. <laughs> I, one of my core values is authenticity and vulnerability. And so I just honor you from the very depths of my heart for showing up in a way that it takes guts and not, not many show up in that way. I appreciate how candid you shared about how difficult that time was and Mm. you did the best you could with the resources that were available to you. And so I, I have a deeper understanding now of how you have put yourself now in this position to be an anchor for others who are just embarking on this type of journey. Trauma is real. And I do remember, I do recall, I've been one that's benefited from therapy over the years and yeah, trauma hasn't been talked a whole lot about until, I don't know, probably the past maybe five years, if that. Yeah, I would say like in a mainstream way. More, even more mainstream, just the last, like, I would say 18 months, it's really picked up. Like, even when I started offering the certification that you were in, the circles that I was in, people still weren't talking about it as, as, 
as something that we all carry mm-hmm. as humans. And obviously like through my, through my experience and through everything that I learned working, you know, with my partner and, and supporting him through his healing and everything, like we just saw how prevalent and normal it was, you know? And so I, I have a vision of every human being trauma informed so that they can understand the context of trauma and take care of honor them, take care of and honor their nervous system. Because I really think that's where healing happens, mm-hmm. where a lot of the collective healing will continue to happen. Right. And even if you don't think that you have the effects of trauma, that you're living with the effects of trauma, just being educated, chances are you do. It's just a matter of awareness, really. But it's good to be educated so that when a situation such as with your spouse arises, there's such thing as secondary trauma. Where Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. I have cleared so much secondary trauma. That's what I was going to tell you when I when I couldn't remember what I was going to say. The secondary trauma, Megan, of mm-hmm. watching my partner with his mental illness and not only with all of his panic attacks, his panic attacks, his anxiety, his depression, his being in a, mm-hmm. you know, in the fetal position in the closet as many times, him falling, you know, backwards on the toilet in the middle of the night because of some new medication, like um, people pushing back when he spoke out about his abuse and me just watching and seeing how he's been treated, um, people pushing back and treating him differently when he differentiated with respect to religion, like there is like, I have had to clear so much secondary trauma just from being a witness to how he's been treated. So it's real. So for those who are listening, who may not understand, or maybe this is the first time they've heard the terminology secondary trauma, how would you explain it in, you know, just common terms, layman's terms? So primary trauma is like trauma that you experience as a person, something Mm -hmm. that you like, you get hit by the car, right? You get hit by the car and, or, you know, something like that, or you get swept up in like a hurricane or a tsunami or, you know, Mm -hmm. and, or you're the victim of emotional abuse or, you know, different things like that. Those little, those chronic traumas that we don't talk about enough. Um, and so secondary trauma is like, it's the emotional duress that results when we hear or witness about the firsthand trauma and experiences of another. Okay. So it's, and because a lot of times we're not taught how to process the emotions around that, or we don't know how to, um, we don't even know that there's something to process because we've just been a witness of it. And as women, especially we've been so socialized to to discount our experience and to be so focused on other people, we don't even know that there's stuff there. And I think that's why it's so important for us to educate ourselves so that we, we can raise our consciousness. We can raise our awareness of what is going on because otherwise we honestly are in this place. If we just think this is normal, I'm wondering if you can take this primary and secondary trauma concept one step further, what would be the difference between secondary trauma, as you watch a loved one processing a lot of pain, going through, you know, the flashbacks, like you've mentioned, and just dealing with the psychosomatic effects of their trauma bubbling up for them. Let's say that loved one was not aware that that was a traumatic response for them. That was a trauma response for them, right? Mm -hmm. And then the way that they interact with you or other family members 
is obviously going to spill over in a traumatic way. And so their norm, right, because they're not aware of what's going on in the way that they treat you, the way that they interact with you, interact with the family and so on. Is there a name for that? Um, Because my understanding is the loved ones who are trying to be the supporting role also get affected by in a traumatic way. Well, I mean, when, when that's happening, so let's say that there's a partner in a marriage who, you know, has had his own trauma or mental illness and is is completely unconscious to it. And, and then they treat family members a certain way. That's, it's not a layer behind primary and secondary that would go back to primary because of the way you're being treated, right? You're directly on the receiving end of the retreat, mm-hmm. of the treatment. So to me, of course, I would never, I, I of course, as a coach too, I, I try not to, like, I can give lots of ideas, but I'm not like, I, I don't diagnose, of course, right. but, right. but typically, like, um, typically, that's a primary, that was more of a primary trauma, because it's, you're being directly impacted, you're the one on the receiving end of certain treatment or behavior. Okay, so yes, so it kind of becomes a primary trauma for that loved one who is trying to care for the one going through the traumatic experience. Yeah, because if if we take this into like physical terms, it's almost like, hey, there's this kid who was never taught not to hit and his parents are uninvolved, blah, 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 blah. Like, sure, there's a bunch of emotional neglect and stuff in that family. But the moment that kid decks one of your kids in the face or pushes your kid off of you know, some 10 foot plank, that's a direct acute event that your child experiences. So that would be a primary, a primary trauma. So I think because of the way we've um, hierarchized emotional trauma or emotional abuse versus physical abuse, sexual abuse and things like mm-hmm, that, we really mm-hmm. discount that emotional piece. But yes, um, I agree. But when we talk physically, it's so much easier to be like, oh yeah, my kid got hit. Right. And so yeah. that's helpful. You can think about it that way. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. You know, this isn't trauma 101. <laughs> I do want to get back to your faith journey. You said something that stood out to me. You said this event, this experience was kind of like the powder keg that triggered this awakening. And you also mentioned there was, there was this processing of some relationships, perhaps a mourning period, because some of those relationships, as you understood them, had died essentially. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about this powder keg um, and what you mean by the awakening that it triggered. You know, are we talking in a spiritual sense, a religious sense, um, perhaps a social? I'm sure the roles of each spouse shifted. So there was some of that to consider, um, reframe, you know, just. Can you share a little bit more about that awakening and what that was like? And yeah, I mean, once everything happened, I mean, like when my husband um, or my partner, when he, you know, became non-functioning due to his his mental illness and that childhood trauma coming to a head up until that point, what I knew about anxiety was it's a mixture of feeling nervous and excited. Like that's pretty much all I'd been taught my entire childhood Mm -hmm. and depressed just means depressed, sleepy, 
probably a little lazy, like, you know, just this horrible, like these stigmas. So I didn't understand a lot of about mental illness. Now, once all of this went down, a lot of my first sessions with my therapist was like figuring like, what's even, what is all this stuff? Right. So there was like the contextual education that she provided to me while allowing me to process a lot of grief around so many different things, grief around not being able to be home with my kids. I yeah. loved being home with my kids. I'm yeah. a pretty social person. So I found plenty of outlets. I used, you know, spin instructor, you know, doing all the things. And so there was so much grief for me to process. And, um, and so just as I was supporting my husband through his recovery, I learned so much about different stigmatized things like mental illness mm-hmm. and porn and what that means when a partner is looking at porn in a marriage um, and, and just yeah. so many things. And so as I learned more, it really shifted the lens of how I looked at things, looked at people, looked at my partner, looked at myself um, so that I became a lot more protective of, of my husband, of course, and also just people who, um, you know, at church who are going to take things the wrong way because maybe mm-hmm. they have OCD, maybe they have a little scrupulosity, you know, maybe they take things really literally because we yeah. all just have such a different mapping, um, such unique mapping as humans, the language that we use really, really matters. And so, um, it was kind of just, I became more, in, as I supported my husband through everything and then, you know, became a coach, then I really started seeing the patterns and the parallels and the things that are being taught that, um, yeah. were just hurting a lot of people. So thank you. I appreciate that. I have found that it's usually a significant life event such as this one, a, just a major fork in the road that causes us to re-examine our, our faith, our spirituality, our concept of religion. Yeah. It doesn't Which, have to be, but it oftentimes is. Yeah. I think Joda Spenza talks about that too. So yeah. would you say, when would you say, was it this event or was this just something that it kind of started you on what I call maybe a pivot, a shift in the way you viewed your faith or when would you mm-hmm. say that kind of significant point was for you? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like there were so many pivot points. I think with awakenings, I kind of just think of like the way a flower kind of just like it blossoms and then it sheds and then it blossoms and then it sheds and it blossoms and sheds. I feel like I had just a lot of mini pivot points, um, but there were a few bigger ones. And I would say, and I would say, you know, a big one was, you know, initially when I, um, you know, with my husband was working through his mental illness and, and we were, you know, mm-hmm. going to church and stuff like that. It was fascinating for me in the very beginning to just see how we would go to the same Sunday school lesson and he would come home feeling just ashamed and horrible. And I'd be like, Oh, I just took that one line that that person said and just kept that and felt great. Right. And so, yeah. um, so I started noticing like he internalizes stuff differently than I do. Right. And, and mm-hmm. there's that trend. Mm-hmm. And then once we became coaches, especially, well, I'd say once we both became coaches, I was just a little bit ahead of him and the switching to become a coach career. Uh, he, but I coached women in betrayal trauma and he coached currently coaches men to show, teach them how to stop looking at porn. And, um, just that daily exposure to the thought process, 
processes and the the things that are taught, the fear and the shame-based tactics that are used to control mm-hmm. behavior. You just see it over and over and over and over again. It's just something for me, I couldn't deny that there's a problem. And yeah. so of course, for me, another thing is I've always felt like I'm meant to be a voice for the voiceless and to, to be willing to speak out uh, when I see those types of things. And so that I would say that was another pivot point. I, there, I have lots of other pivot points, but I'd say that was a pivot point. And what else would there be? Um, women's rights, stuff like that, equality in marriage. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm mm-hmm. a big Mary Magdalene person. And also the way the church has, in my opinion, failed to protect children with, you know, different loopholes and things like that. That was a big awakening for me because mm-hmm. I started seeing like, this isn't a culture problem. This is like a top-down problem. So that was probably one of my biggest pivot points as far as like faith specific to Mormon faith journey. When I started seeing, you know, for me, what I see, I don't want to speak for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these problems as top down and not this way where we say it's, it's just the culture. It's not the leadership because again, that's just dismissive of can be a way to dismiss and keep leadership from needing to take ownership and responsibility for their behavior. So if you're comfortable, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this. How much did you share of your journey with your fellow parishioners, your, maybe your, family, your friends. Uh, I always like to speak to that when I can on this podcast. I I truly believe um, moving forward, igniting and fostering open, non-judgmental communication is essential. It's not just something that's pretty and a nice thing. I think it's essential if there's going to be healing in our faith communities. Yeah. I mean, so I live in France. And so it's a different culture here, mm-hmm. a different sure. culture. And, and I, I, I love it here too. Ultimately though, I think the doctrine is going to come through no matter where you live. Cause it's like the same hand. Yeah. Right. So, so a lot of those top down things, I still see trickling through here. Um, even though there's a very chill energy, like there's a lot of, a lot more of a chill membership vibe here that I really, really gravitate toward. But, um, you know, I shared and communicate with people that I see as safe to communicate with. And so I did, I have talked to like leadership here, but what they see is, is this is a Utah problem. This isn't a church-wide problem. I see that differently. I, I think it's, you know, it's a headquarters thing and it's a, it's a church-wide thing. But um, so for them, it's, it's a little bit more like, oh, that's just because you grew up in Utah and so uh-huh. you see it that way. And I actually feel like because I grew up in Utah, I have a pretty good perspective of how things go down in the heart of where, you know, where church headquarters is. And so, and then on top of that, just all like my lived experience, but then what I have done professionally and the people that I've served, I feel like I have a pretty good perspective. And so I don't want to say it's right or wrong, but so that's, it didn't go very far, which I'm not surprised, but there's also the language barrier. So And, you know, with family, I chose to say family. So for me, when it comes to communication, like, yes, I can see that it's important to communicate and share concerns. Also, I think our nervous system gets to take priority. I think our safety gets to take priority. So if I can test a little with relationships and if I get pushed back, really tough pushback, I'm not, there's no point in me trying to engage. If I know 
someone isn't in it to listen and learn. If they're there to basically take everything I've said and turn it around against me, like I, I'm just not interested in engaging. And I, a lot of people like to do that. And they will say things like, I just want to understand. And so you share. And then two days later, you get the email back with every, why every single point you made yeah. is wrong. And and I don't think that's what the point is when it comes to change, right? Like yeah. when it comes to systemic racism or, um, you know, LGBTQ rights, I think people just need to be listened to. Right. I think getting that email back um, full of, I don't know, rebuttals or whatever is kind of the antithesis of a safe space. A safe space is just listening with no other agenda, just listening to somebody share their honest to goodness truth. Um, I want to, I want to try to pinpoint this and I don't know if I'm, if I'm not using the right words to try to describe this. I'm really curious to try to understand when or how, when you felt this awakening inside of you, because you, you see life through a different lens now than Lindsay of however many years ago before all of these major life things started to happen that you shared earlier, what happened inside or what would you say shifted for you that you started to, I don't know if give yourself permission is the right way. Mm -hmm. This is, this is something that I see is, is difficult is allowing these doubts, these questions, this, these seemingly contradictory things yeah. to exist as part of our world. Like, yeah, what was, what happened inside? Do you think for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the reason we're so scared to embark on a faith expansion is because of the conditioning and what we've been told. Like, if you do this, then this will happen. Oh, they probably stopped this and that's why they're this. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's why it could be so scary, but there for was sure. just like this deep, deep, deep part of me that like knew there was more, there was something else. I would say a lot of my study around like the relationship between Christ and Mary Magdalene and what, what their relationship potentially was, was a big thing for me that helped me really, really anchor into myself and into my knowing, mm -hmm. um, you know, even just down to like him, not just telling her she's an equal, but yeah. actually showing her and treating mm -hmm. her as mm -hmm. equal. So so much model integrity to me, like Christ lived what he taught. And, um, you know, some, so scholars, some scholars say that Mary actually understood the gospel of Jesus better than any of his 12 apostles. And then after he passed away, they asked her to teach them, but her level of consciousness was equal of that of Christ, but it, but it was over the heads of the apostles. So even they couldn't like it, that stuff was over their heads. But then you look at like the gospel of Thomas and Philip and, and the stuff that she taught, they also taught and their stuff, it just didn't happen to make it into the Bible. And so, um, but anyway, my study of a lot of that and, and learning from, you know, different religious scholars mm -hmm. really helped me just check in and think like, you know, what if, um, I remember, I remember reading this book and these scholars were trying to figure out like, was Jesus like 50% man, 50% God? Like, what was it? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and this woman said, um, this, this female scholar and a few other scholars basically said, well, he was a hundred percent full. And that for me was like, oh, oh. And from there, I remember thinking, okay, so he's hundred percent man, 
100% God, what does that mean for me? Wow. And I remember thinking like, if we're here to become gods and goddesses, and then you take quantum time, quantum physics and put that into play, does mm-hmm. that mean we're actually all already gods and goddesses? And, and what if we have that divine God goddess in us right now? And what if, yeah, you know, I mean, so what if we have that right now? What if we have that connection? And anytime we connect to ourselves, which is like what we're doing when we're healing from trauma, trauma creates a separation of self. Anytime we can be present and mm-hmm. here in the now and the here and now and connected to ourselves. What if when we're connected to our knowing, we're not only connected to our divine knowing, but connected to God. And so I kind of just started thinking like, what if we already are? And what if we're here to express and put our creative power into the physical realm of earth? I've actually had that thought before. (laughs) What if if the seeds, the fairy dust, whatever you want to call it of divinity, they're already there within us. Of course they are. But I think... I mean, and how beautiful is that? Yeah. I well, mean, and- we're, we're the, we're taught, we're the literal offspring of deity. Yeah. So doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Like, can you, could you actually, like, is it even possible to like compartmentalize that and say that we're right. not for this like short life term, but then we suddenly back are again. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I love, I love where you're diving so, so much. Beginning October 5th, the Dallas Hope Charities Collective Hope Coalition will be hosting their first ever book club and wrap up in November in honor of Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week, November 13th through the 18th. We'll be discussing Dr. Brandon Andrew Robinson's book, Coming Out to the Streets, and how the book ties in to the Dallas Hope Charities' fight to end hopelessness. If you would like more information, please send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Books can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, UC Press, or through used bookstores. If cost is a barrier, please reach out for alternative. Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com to find this podcast and additional free resources, including the link for a complimentary coaching session. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more or to send me a DM. Help the podcast grow. Please follow, review, and share with a friend. Thank you.